This is Solve It for Kids. Hello, my amazing and curious friends. My name is Jennifer, the Dean of All Things STEM and STEAM, and this is Solve It for Kids. The podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists, engineers, and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity, cooperation, and critical thinking. And now please welcome to the show my podcast partner, Galactic Space Geek, Jeff Ganya. Hello, Jennifer, and hello, listeners. I love these types of episodes because we are talking about something I've never really thought about. As soon as I started looking into it, I'm now fascinated. Yes, this is fascinating. It's all steam. So what problem are we solving today? How do old wind turbine blades become art? do old wind turbine blades become functional art? Ooh, we're going to talk about the art in STEM and STEAM. So who is our guest today, Jeff? Today we have Brian Donahue with us, and he is managing partner of Canvas. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Well, we are thrilled to have you. And I mean, we're going to talk about the intersection of STEM and art, right? Absolutely. This is going to be so fun. So I have to ask, as a kid, were you always kind of creating art out of anything you could find? I was creating art. I was creating different science projects, some that didn't go as well as others, some that I probably should have had a little more parental supervision for. I love always, that. <laughs> my parents did not love it as much, but always, always a curiosity about taking different things and turning them into something else or, or seeing okay. what could be made out of different things that you just had lying around. Okay. So I have kind of heard a similar thing before. A lot of people like to, you know, whether it's take things apart and see how they work. Do you have any idea where that inkling came from of wanting to take these things and create other things? I don't. I think is a little genetic. My father, when he was young, his parents went on a two-week trip to Europe. And when they came back, he had taken his mom's car apart. Um, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Far <laughs> uh, apart. <laughs> yes. He was a little more mechanically inclined than I. So he actually got it put back together in short order when they got home. But you know, I, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I think when you look at things and have a view of the world where you have this insatiable why. And yes. And yes. I'm a hypocrite when I tell my own children, okay, <laughs> can you not ask why? Because that's how I <laughs> That's how we're wired at Canvas is you get to places by asking why, or more importantly, sometimes why not? You know, just because someone hasn't done something before, that doesn't mean it can't be done. Exactly. I mean, I think that's me when I was growing up too. I was one of those kids that was always asking why my mother was, her response to me was go look it up, right? (laughs) Because back then we had encyclopedias. Do you remember? Yes. 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 And so we didn't have the web. So I was forever pulling the encyclopedias off the 
you know, bookshelf and, and reading through all of them. And I think she, like you, sometimes got tired of answering all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a good answer, right? And it's funny, I can remember the bookshelf in our house with the World Book Encyclopedia. That's what we had, yes. Laid out on it. And and I think that's a good answer. It, it's probably a parent's defense mechanism, but I can explain <laughs> it to you or you can look it up. And I think looking it up teaches you to find a way to find the answers out of just asking someone. Right. Well, and sometimes it actually furthers your curiosity, too, because then you learn more and then you're like, oh. And so maybe maybe that's how you start the seed of curiosity as a kid, which hopefully you carry into adulthood. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So carrying your seed of curiosity into adulthood, connect a couple of dots for us. Yeah. Going from taking things, making new things, which is basically exactly what you're doing now. <laughs> it's been a journey. And it's interesting that, that you talk about connecting the dots. On a lot of our whiteboards around here, we, we have this phrase that we use is that we connect the dots to solve problems and create opportunities. And ah, you know, okay. we yeah. came up with it. I, I don't want to take credit for somebody else's quote, but <laughs> we, we've really lived by it. And it got us to a place where we were in a business and working with renewable energy companies and working with them when they were taking apart turbines and replacing them with new ones. And there's a bunch of different components and, and some are mm -hmm. really easy to handle and recycle. And then these massive fiberglass blades, nobody knew what to do with. So for okay. about the last three years, we've been working on this solution. And one of our founders just came down one day and said, if we do this and flip it on its side, we can make furniture and public wow. was out there. Yeah, it was wild. We never looked back after we heard that idea. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, so to give our listeners a little kind of grounding here, tell us like exactly what you guys work with and and how you got helping the renewable companies to kind of get, you know, dismantle some of these turbines. We're very terrible at saying no. So <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, we see a challenge and I think there's really two ways to look at the world and and I hope that your listeners will learn from this. There are things in, in the world that are unknown, and some yes. people are very afraid of the unknown. They don't know what's behind that door. And then there are people like us at Canvas, and we've assembled a group that's pretty much wired this way. The unknown is the most exciting thing in the world. We want yes. to rip that door open and, yes. and see behind it. And that's really where it came from. We were working with these companies because wind turbines and renewable are really great and they take wind and sun and mm -hmm. you're powering your homes you're, right. you're powering the country but they wear out and and they age out and there's different reasons they come down so there's this huge turbine that is now on the ground and what do you do with it yes. well, it's easy to take the metal components and recycle those metal's been recycled for probably hundreds of years now right Melt it down turn it into something else and then the fluids, there's also a lot of companies out there doing great things of repurposing oil and hydraulic fluid to make it a product that can okay. be easy. Okay. But everyone just looked at the fiberglass blades and said, oh my gosh, they're 150 feet long. They weigh 10 pounds. What are we going to do with them? And initially, like most things, they said, well, we'll chop them up and bury them in a landfill. We don't love that and nor did anyone out there. So the industry had to react quickly and, and find a better solution. So right. there are a couple other things out there that people are doing. They they crush the blade and use it as fuel in a cement kiln. 
which is okay. Mm -hmm. It's better than landfill, but you still have emissions and other things to deal with. That's why we wanted to take the route that used the least amount of energy to convert that light in our final product. Wow. I like that. Thank you. Okay. So you just said they were 150 feet long. Yeah. Yeah. How much did you say they weighed? I missed that. About 10 tons. Um, Holy cow. We've had blades now that are coming in that are 170 feet, 180 feet. They're getting bigger because the the new turbines produce more power. It means a bigger blade. When right. you look at some of the offshore equipment they're putting out there, the blades are 300 feet long. I mean, they're, they're a football field long. It's wow. Holy cow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay. So continuing, again, connecting that dot. Yeah. How did your partner and how did you guys come up with a company to (laughs) that you were going to take these pieces that nobody could come up with a good solution for and find better solutions so once we had the initial idea about roughly three years ago okay okay yeah parker who's parker kowalski is our managing director of brand he came up with it once we had that we started to look at, okay, now how do we do this? And one of the biggest factors for us was to be able to do it at scale and not be a little science fair project, but be able to do it again and again and really make products. These blades, as I mentioned, are heavy, they're durable. They're not going anywhere for a long time. Can I ask you, how do you move them? I mean, I'm just thinking 10 tons. Wow. This is not, you just pick it up and move it around. (laughs) No, I'm I'm not quite hey, Ted, there. You got a pickup truck? <laughs> <laughs> so the one of the first things that happens to get the blade to us, you know, it's a marvel of engineering actually that they make these in a factory and then ship them to the wind farm in one piece. What? If you ever see a truck going down the highway, it's it's incredible. But for us, we don't need the whole blade. Well, we do need the whole blade, but we don't need it in one piece. So when it comes oh. down in the field, okay. we cut it into thirds or fourths so we can use okay. normal trailers and move it to us. So the okay. pieces we get are 5,000, 6,000 pounds. They're about 40 to 50 feet long that we can move around with a crane or, or typical equipment that you would have on hand. Okay. So that makes okay. sense. Anyway, go ahead and wait what you're saying. I was just like mind boggling trying to figure <laughs> out how you're going to move these gigantic things. And so they once we cut them down further, we we cut them into what we call fillets, and they're eighteen to thirty six inches, depending. Oh. On, yeah, if you look at it like a tenderloin, we like to eat around here. So <laughs> I like that. We had a food analogy. Uh, <laughs> depending on what we're making, we use a saw in our factory that was actually designed to cut marble and granite in Italy. Oh. Okay. Big chunks they bring out, they cut into slabs. Right. So. It's just a rope that goes around and cuts through our blade to give us our fillets. But each fillet on the light side is 200 pounds. And, and depending on the product, they go up to 600 pounds. So wow. it's wow. big, heavy furniture, which is why we aim it at public spaces. You know, not right. too many people have 600-pound benches in their backyard and <laughs> no. you know, call a couple of buddies and move it around the deck to whatever <laughs> you want. So it's all about being out there in public spaces and displaying what we're doing. Wow. Okay. All right. Now I have to jump a little deeper. All right. Because it's not regular family furniture or patio furniture. Where did the spark come from in your partner's eye for 
public municipal style furniture. That's not something most people just have roaming through their brain. No, it's not. So when we knew early on that we wanted to solve the problem at scale, there are some people out there. There's a group that built a pedestrian bridge over in Ireland and, and they used wind turbine blades to do it. And, and there's a couple oh. of bike racks in Denmark that they did. Okay. But it's really cool, but it used two or three blades and there's 5,000 to 8,000 that come down every year. So uh, we wow. wanted to make a bigger dent in it. And so it wasn't early on that that we had the natural idea to go into public spaces. Over time, so once we realized the idea, Parker brought in one of his roommates from college had an architecture degree, and we started designing all these products. Somewhere there's a library of about 150 different products. Now, to be fair, some of them should never see the light of day. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that I mean, that's designing, right? Sometimes you design stuff and you go, eh, this might not work. <laughs> yeah, and so we landed on nine. We whittled it down to nine products that we know we can make again and again. There's our, there are some future ideas. We have in our factory in Avon, Ohio, we built a gallery. And so that means people can visit and see what these products would look like. Because early on, we didn't have product out there. And and it's so revolutionary that people, you know, you can see a rendering, but they want to see it. So our gallery hosts all of our products. And we have a mountain scene and a park scene and, and all this. But we also have a little seating area where we can meet. We've got some bookshelves made out of wind turbine blades that we're not in production on yet, but they're really cool looking. And then... Okay. Our architect made a chandelier out of wind turbine blades that hangs in there. It's about a 350 pound chandelier. So (laughs) we made sure it's secure. (laughs) Reinforced beams there. (laughs) So there's, there's a lot of ideas, but you know, these benches are big. They call them big, bold, and beautiful in our marketing department. Mm -hmm. And it's true, but I don't know how much demand there would be on the consumer side, but public spaces, when we talk about that, we're talking about open spaces and communities, right? parks. There's 100,000 plus parks across the country. There's 7,000 state and federal parks and then schools between K through 12 and universities. There's 140,000 schools. That's where we want to be because it's not just a bench. It's functional art that people can interact with, and it carries a story through a QR code, and, and it really belongs out there. Ah, we use the term cool. imagine, inspire, and share, and, and that's that's kind of I the like foundation that. of how we look at things when we're trying to solve a business problem. I All love right. that. And now I know since we are audio that our listeners can't see this, although go to our website and we'll have pictures there. Yes. But can you ex- like explain a couple of what these benches look like? Yeah, sure. A lot of our products leverage what we call the root end of the blade. And that's the most circular part of the blade where it attaches to the turbine. Okay. So it's depending on the blade, a six foot diameter circle, an eight foot diameter circle. We've seen a new blade that's about 11 foot diameter circle. So growing. Now we have several products that use the full circle. And so you're sitting in a bench in the circle of a wind turbine blade and it can be painted just our normal three colors, or it can be made into art. So you're sitting in public art and you're drinking wow. a coffee. You're enjoying a bench, enjoying the view. We also make an option of that that has a swing in it. So it's a big circular oh, winter oh, blade with a hanging fun. swing in it, which is really neat. Yeah. And then as you go out further along the blade, it gets a little more narrow and a little right. more tapered. So we still are able to make some covered benches 
that we call the cove and, and the willow. And the beauty of that is if you're down south, you've got shade. If you're yes. up in Cleveland, not today, it's actually quite sunny behind me, but um, <laughs> but normally in Cleveland, you could sit there and read a book in a light drizzle because you're in a covered bench. Then from there, we start to use the half moon shapes as the base of our picnic tables and, and benches and other benches as we cut ah. the lesson. So we try to use 100% of the blade in the products we make. We're right at about 85% now where we can take that blade and upcycle 85% of it into products. Yeah, that's fantastic. It Thank really you. is. And your mention of schools, yeah, well, that's just brilliant because especially students now, I have a 12-year-old and she is far more in tune to recycling mm-hmm. and what yeah. her school is doing about it than I ever was in, obviously we weren't recycling back then, but she knows what her school is doing and whether they have good things going on, like, hey, we just got all this new furniture from Canvas that's recycled, they used to be wind turbines, daddy, it's like this stuff, or she knows when they're not doing some great things. Right. Like, hey, daddy, we use these like non-recyclable lunch trays. That's terrible. Our PTA is trying to fix that. So I can definitely see this being very popular among the schools. When you create these, you were just talking about sitting in art or sitting on art. Does your company do the artwork or does somebody buy it a standard color and then either commission with you for an artist or they do the artwork themselves? It's a great question. We have three standard colors. Now they call them sand, meadow, and timber because that sounds good, but you're really (laughs) talking about beige, green, and brown. Uh, There you go. (laughs) But one of the things that's important to us is the fiberglass and the other materials that we make our benches out of will last out there for at least 25 years. Yes. So it's got to have a coating on it that's going to last as well. So we use an epoxy paint and it's actually the same material they paint roller coasters with. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah. So nobody really wants to climb around a roller coaster every three years and repaint it. So (laughs) (laughs) it will last. But then beyond that, we have this whole program called PAR, Primed and Ready. So we don't paint it with the epoxy. We just put a white coat of primer on it. We have a design studio in our Avon facility. And local artists from the Cleveland area can come there and paint. And typically on any given week, we have three to four artists that are back there. And they've got their music playing on the floor. And all they have to do is submit a design. And I mean, we never really look too much into it, but it's their ideas. We have pieces that have gone out with motivational quotes all over it. We had a local school paint one with really nice like phrases of wisdom for kids that are sitting in there, it's going to go down at their school. Right. On the other hand, we're currently preparing an order for Austin, Texas, that will go out just with the primer on it. And they have a Mexican-American cultural center there and 10 artists that are each going to paint one of these pieces and make it part of the Austin community. Oh, that's cool. Either way. That sounds terrific. I love that. I don't have that kind of artistic talent in (laughs) painting and stuff. So, I love watching these artists create. We have a couple from Cleveland that have already come back and painted multiple pieces and and they're out, not just in our community, but some of the pieces have gone out to California. They've gone out to Indiana, to other cities in Texas. So 
it's really magical to watch them turn that into something that's truly one of a kind. Yeah. Well, and I love this because, you know, usually when you're walking around or whatever and you see art, you're not allowed to touch it. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's, that is such I'm so glad you said that. Because <laughs> recently, we put an installation in Avon, Ohio, at a park where our factory is. And we went there and met the mayor when the pieces were delivered okay. and were a couple that were painted by artists. And there was a mom and two really young children. And the children started climbing around on the piece. And she said, is that okay? I said, that's exactly what they're supposed to do. (laughs) Every community has these great artists. And a lot of communities we're finding will donate, you know, one to 3% of their total budget to public art. But you stand in front of a wall and see a beautiful mural. And it is breathtaking. Yes. But then you move on. Yes. Our art, you sit inside of it. And yeah. revisit it and you go back to it. So I'm glad you mentioned that. It's really a neat part of it. And that's why we use the term functional art. Yes. Please yes. touch yes. it. Please jump around on it. Please climb yes. on it. That's what it's there for. Nice. So I also saw, or you also mentioned that they all come with QR codes. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Sure. Every product, what's big is the fact that we are not just creating a product, but we really want it to be a brand and a movement of sorts. Mm-hmm. So it talks about what we're doing, sure, but the way these benches get out in the communities, communities can buy them directly. They can place an order. And then we also have a network of regional and national donors, so large companies. Even our friends in the renewable energy industry who say, all right, you solved our problem with this material. Let's give back <laughs> Nice. But everybody has a story to tell. So when a community buys our products, if they buy at least five, we try and then match that from a donor. So they purchase five, they end up with 10. Oh, nice. Beyond that, we also have what we call our legacy bench program. And so a family or even a business can tell their story through that QR code. So oh, I like that. family yeah. can talk about a family member that may not be with us any longer or is still with us. We have communities that have used it to honor veterans in the community and tell the story. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's all, as soon as you hit the QR code, it takes you to our digital platform. And that story, whoever buys that bench, it's their story to tell. And our team helps put it together and tell them. And they can change it. I mean, again, it's going to be out there for 25 years. You can change it 10 times a day. You can, <laughs> yeah, it's digital. Year. I mean, it's different yeah, it's, story, it's, same bench, different story. Perfect. <laughs> and and so everybody gets to be part of that story and talk about what they want to talk about. It's really, really neat. I love that. I love that. Okay. So I got two questions. I have a follow up on that one. Okay. Do you know of any benches yet where people are leaving comments like leave a comment about who you are and when you sat on this bench? I don't. One of the interesting things that happened when we were developing that QR code to go to our platform. So our team can update the content behind that QR code. Okay. The the person or company that buys the bench can update it in the community. So there's multiple parties behind that. We actually have a patent pending on that because we couldn't find another example of a QR code. All these different parties could update it. But beyond that, We specifically didn't open it up for comments or input. So on top of the story, we have what we call a message of kindness. And so whoever buys that writes a note saying to the great citizens of, say, Rocky River, Ohio, 
we put this bench here, you know, because we're a member of the community. They write their own narrative. It's right. one way. There are yes. so many platforms out there where everyone gets to comment right now, and it's nice, and it's mean, and it's chaos. And yes. we just wanted it to be one way. So somewhere during everybody's daily life, they could sit down on a bench and just read something that's heartwarming and inspiring yes. and, nice. and might motivate them to reimagine things in their own life. Exactly. Yeah. I like okay. that a lot. Understand totally. Love that explanation. Love that story. Want to bring us back to a functional question. You're talking about functional art. And in the background, I've had your website video sort of playing in a loop. And these wind turbines have such really cool curves and shape to them. But when you cut those pieces, cut fiberglass, not the friendliest material to have people sitting around, etc. Are you sanding down these edges, covering them with epoxy? Like, how are you making them like people friendly? It is a great question that has probably taken about a year of our three years to solve. Uh, <laughs> because I, I can show you the scars on my hands of the glass splinters <laughs> and everything that I've I've picked up. I haven't been smart enough to start wearing gloves yet. But when we cut it open, you know, the blade itself on the outside is smooth. Not right, 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 right. But once we make that cut. Inside these blades are are the glass itself, the resin. There's wood that they use, balsa wood, to use. Right. And so that was really important to us is how do we seal that edge? It's also very susceptible to moisture. Yes. So we use a fiberglass resin that goes over that edge. Okay. And the initial attempts at that were not great. <laughs> but We've really worked with a number of different manufacturing partners and probably 25 different products through testing to find what makes that perfect edge. If you on our finished product, so the blades come in and even before we cut them, they'll have some damage. Maybe they got hit by hail up in the air. Some get hit by lightning. It happens all the time or they come down and nobody's worried about our furniture because we're so new and they drag it around the ground once they get it down there. So. Once we cut it, the first thing we do is seal those edges to make sure that no one's going to get hurt. You have children, you have adults, everyone climbing around on our products. But then on the outside, our craftsmen, by hand, they sand it down. They use materials like almost in an auto body repair shop, like Bondo and everything. Yeah. Can smooth that surface. So by the time it comes out of our paint booth, whether it's just primed, ready for an artist, the edges are incredibly smooth. The surface is smooth. They really do look beautiful. Nice. Wow. That yeah. sounds cool. Yeah. So I want to, you know, go back to how you started your curiosity and working with all these things. What does this make you feel and, and everybody in your company about what you do and how you're contributing to the environment, actually, not just communities, but to the environment? There's definitely that piece of it. We try and not act as the poster child for sustainability because I think <laughs> no. everyone's, I think yeah. everyone's trying generally to do the right thing. Right. We have a phrase we use called sustainability in motion, meaning it's a process in life. It's three That's steps awesome. forward, right. one step back. But, you know, as we progressed, we knew the wind turbine blade was a great foundation for our product, but they're right. hollow, so you can't sit in it. So we use composite lumber. And that's made from about 85 to 90% recycled plastic content. Oh, that's fabulous. 
make benches out of recycled rubber, almost like a running track or a playground surface. Right, right. right. Combining ground up tires from trucks and cars with ground up shoes from some of the largest shoe companies in the world and making a seating surface out of it. And then we actually also use a board made of mixed plastics. So all that material that's floating out in the ocean, those islands of plastic, they take that and they combine it with waste from the carpet industry and municipal recycling that can't be separated and make this board that is incredibly soft, but incredibly durable. And so all of those feed into it and we call them retired materials. They're not trash. They're not waste. They had a life. It was a tire. It was a wind turbine. Yeah, exactly. And now it has another 20 to 30 years as a second life that we've done. So it's an incredible feeling to be a part of Canvas. And I think anybody around here that you talk to feels the same way. You know, we set up a factory unlike any other in the world. There's a true beauty in doing something that no one's ever done before. And there is a terrifying reality of doing something that no one's ever done before. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's yes. no encyclopedia to go to. There's no Google no. That, that we no. Nope. Right. We hired but you've been very successful at it so far. So far, I mean, so good. We, yeah. we hired craftsmen. No one really in the fiberglass industry, but people that had built homes and decks and poured concrete and knew how to work with their hands and solve problems. And I am probably in our plant two times a week. At Mm -hmm. this point, we we lived there for a while while we were getting it set up. Oh, I'm sure. Everybody there is really happy to be there. And they know what they're doing and they know the impact it has when it goes out in the community. I mean, we've been in manufacturing, my partner and I, and around manufacturing for a long time. And people go to work, they do their job and they go home and then they show up, you know, they leave Friday and show up Monday. I think 90% of the guys that work in our plant have brought their families there on the weekends to show them what they're doing. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. We talk about it all the time. It's, we're really proud of what we're doing. And, you know, these products get delivered and people call and they're like, I didn't know it was that big. I didn't know it was this well built. Thank you. This is awesome. (laughs) Like, and it's, those calls are so much fun. I'm sure. We're having a blast doing what we're doing and it benefits so many people when the products go out there. Yeah, I yeah, I can see that. I'm going to speak for Jennifer for just a moment. I think you can add the both of us to that list of who's proud of you all for doing what you're doing at Canvas. Thank you. So you mentioned it earlier, and I did see it on your website. Five to eight thousand wind turbine blades are taken down each year. How many of those is Canvas using per year now? So we can convert around 1,500 to 2,000 into furniture based on our current That's capacity. not bad. Wow. We want to keep growing. And yeah. whether that means yes. additional facilities around the country or just expansion of our operations here, we want to be a comprehensive solution. Now, that's what we can turn into furniture. Historically, right. what's happened is people have ground the blades up and, and they either are used as fuel in a cement kiln or... Right aggregate and concrete. There's other people working on different solutions. We get blades in that are damaged and can't be turned into furniture. So we also have a separate entity that does grind that material because we have manufacturing scrap that we can't just throw in furniture. It kind of defeats the whole purpose of what we're doing. Exactly. So on that side, we can probably process and move another 1,500 blades on that side of the Wow. 
it would be our goal. And we have what we call these backroom products, off the grid <laughs> products that we're working on, including we built walls in our gallery out of wind turbine blades. And it was purely for a step. Wow, that's customer. cool. Like we need to create separation here. Let's use blades. Everybody that comes in is intrigued by the blades. So we've actually worked and are working with a couple universities out there to see, can we use them as sound barriers along highways? Can we use them as walls in waterfront communities? So there are a lot of ideas. If we can get walls out there, or can we just build a wall in a community that becomes a space for someone to put a mural on it and become a garden that way? Right. If we can tackle those things, I think we can consume every blade that's out there. Wow. What a great goal. That's amazing. And I can totally, as soon as you said walls, my brain went into museums because I used to run a space and science museum to have curved walls that separate your exhibits. Oh, yeah. That's got to be cool. Yeah, Yeah. that would be amazing. So impressive. So before we get to the challenge, I do want you to be able to tell people where they can find out more information about Canvas. So go ahead. Can you tell us that, Brian? Yeah, our website is canvas, C-A-N-V-U-S, world.com. And it's an interactive map that shows you which communities are currently requesting products. That's awesome. Those are the red dots. The blue dots on the map means those products are currently in production and on their way. And then the black dots are the actual installations. And you can click on those installations and see the story just as if you were sitting on the bench scanning the QR code. Oh, I love that. I nice. lost for hours in that map, just poking around and seeing what stories people are telling. It's really, really phenomenal. That is fantastic. Nice. Oh my gosh, this has been so great. I'm so excited that we got to speak with you and kind of talk about how to turn STEM into art. Yeah. But now we are at the point in our talk where we ask our guests to give our listeners a challenge. What is your challenge for everyone, Brian? So the challenge that I would inspire you all to undertake, we have a lot of things in our own homes and in our daily lives that get either thrown in the trash or mm-hmm. recycling and go away to be handled. But I would inspire you and challenge you to take some of those items, like we looked at a wind turbine blade and we looked at tires and shoes yes right if you can make something functional see if you can make something functional that also duplicates as art and then you've become your own little canvas and that would be (laughs) wonderful we need more of us out there for sure I love it. yeah that would be fantastic oh my gosh this has been such an amazing episode brian thank you so much for being on solve it for kids it has and before you before you stop the record jennifer i just happened to click there is one of these in Colorado Springs. Yes. I am going of, to find it. Great. We have a lot of products going out to Colorado Springs and also Englewood, Colorado. Thank you so much, Brian. This has been great. Mm-hmm. And we teased it right at the beginning. This is fascinating. And the numbers, the numbers of blades that come down every year and the fact that people aren't just filling up a separate, you know, wind turbine blade landfill somewhere. They're actually getting turned into things. And knowing that some of these are right here in my city and all across the country, we can go find these things, see what they look like, and really make a connection between this podcast chat with Brian, who is fabulous, and the work that his company is doing. 
Yes, it's so fun. And you're using recycled items instead of putting it into the landfill, as you said, which is also kind of what his challenge yes. is, right? Like go out and find things that are normally recycled and make art out of it. And you can do anything. You know, you don't have to make chairs or, you know, benches. You can make things, you can make lamps, you can make something in your house, you can make a beautiful sculpture in your yard. I've seen that done a lot here in Florida. And every time I drive by, I'm like, wow, that's beautiful, creative, and it's helping the environment, right? And every little bit helps both for the environment and it just makes you happy when you go by. Yes, uh, it does. We have, I live in Colorado Springs and we happen to be lucky enough to have a whole bunch of wow. canvases pieces out here. So I'll be sharing myself going down to visit those in our downtown area. And I've got to say a teaser, I drove by and they look really cool. That's awesome. Okay, so for all of our listeners, if you guys have ideas or you get creative with recycled items, we'd love to hear from you. So tag us on our social media. We are at KidSolve at Facebook, X, and Instagram. And don't forget to check out our website, SolveForKids.com, where we will have pictures of a lot of the amazing art that Canvas has created. You can also send us an email through there, and there will be suggestions at the bottom of books to read so you can explore more connections between STEM and art. And what a great episode to remind us of a couple of Jen and Jeff's simple themes for Solve It For Kids. Every episode and why we do this podcast, everybody stay curious and be creative. Until exactly. next time, you'll hear Jen and Jeff on Solve, Solve It For, for Kids. kids.